the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us to Joshua 10. Joshua prays a bold prayer in Joshua 10, and God answers it. How does that prayer and the events surrounding that prayer apply to us today? You can find out in this message. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We're in Joshua chapter 10. We're continuing this journey with Joshua into the promised land. And here at chapter 10, uh, the focal passage is very interesting. It's a, it's a, a well-known passage, I think, to many of us. It's also a, a very intriguing passage. Uh, it's a great event that takes place. Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. Look at the, the main passage here to begin with. Just so you have some context, Joshua is chasing after the enemies. He's gone to war, he's chasing after them, he's pursuing them. So it's in that context, verse 12 hits and says, on the day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Joshua asks God to stop the sun and God responds and stops the sun and stops the moon. And he has this last phrase here that's so key, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Passage mentions this book of Jasher. This is translated book of the upright, book of the righteous one. It was really a, a Hebrew hymn book that had a collection of nationalistic songs in it. So in essence, it's a collection of these songs that, that the Israelites would sing that contained the stories of all the great battles in the history of Israel. So this story is actually contained in that book. Verse 13 though is the key passage that we'll talk about throughout this morning where it says, so the sun stood still. Now there are many who discount this completely, they deny it completely, it never happened, it's simply a fairy tale. There are others who say, well something probably happened since it's in record, but it was something very natural, an aurora, an eclipse, some type of natural event that just created some extended period of light. There are others who believe it wholeheartedly that it actually happened, and they're out on a mission to try to prove it scientifically. So one of these proof texts was an alleged study uh, from some NASA scientists that they were plotting the orbits of some shuttles and satellites. And in the process of that, some computer data developed and revealed that they have lost a day, that a day really is missing. So this proved that God made the sun stand still. The only problem with that is it's false. <laughs> the study never happened. It was just an attempt by some people to, to propagate this, this theory and it never really happened. The reality is we can't prove it or disprove it scientifically. One commentator has this perspective. I think it's a good perspective. He says, probably the best explanation is simply to take Joshua 10 at face value. God performed a stupendous miracle, causing the sun to delay its setting. God stopped the motion of the earth there are objections to this explanation based on the physics of motion, but the God who created the world and established natural laws is perfectly capable of compensating for any collateral complications. 
We may not have a scientific explanation of how God performed the miracle, but he did. And this would be my stance. So this morning, I'm not gonna try to prove that God stopped the sun. I'm taking that at face value. What we're gonna do this morning is see how does that apply to my life. Knowing this story, knowing this occurrence, Joshua 10, how can I apply that into my life this morning? That's where we're going. And to help me with that, I need another episode of Low Budget Theater. I've got a few items here that I want to show you. I want you to look at them and I'm not gonna explain them fully to you yet. I just want you to begin to kind of think, okay, how does this apply to what we're gonna be talking about in Joshua chapter 10? It's gonna be three sets of two. So the first set, some boxing gloves and a white flag. The second set, Superman, T-Rex. Superman's been having a hard time standing lately. I think he must have had a hard night. I don't know. Hallelujah. The third set are two separate ladies' tops, okay? What I want us to talk about and look at this morning are three choices that we have regarding our relationship to God, our relationship to Christ. Three choices that we can make in the regard of how we relate in our relationship, our walk, our spiritual journey with Christ. So here's the first one. It's represented by this first set. Boxing gloves, white flag. Now what's the white flag for generally? Surrender. So here's the choice. We can choose to fight or surrender. The choice is fight or surrender. So in our relationship with God, we can choose either to fight against God or to surrender to God. Look at chapter nine. Catch us up with some context. Chapter nine is called the Gibeonite Deception. And you'll understand why as we read a few verses here. Verse one, now when all the kings west of the Jordan, heard about these things. These things, what is that? That's the fact that God has come into the promised land and they have defeated Jericho, they've defeated A, and they're coming, they're coming to the rest of the land. So those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and all along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon. In other words, the area that he's about to come attack. The kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and A, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men, put, the men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. So the Gibeonites lived in the land. They were neighbors, but they hear what's going on with Joshua. And so they make this deception. 
And they go to Joshua acting as if they're from a far country, old clothes and the old wineskins a bit, to say, hey, we're from a far off, distant land, but we want to come and have fellowship. We want to surrender. We want to be allies with you. Why did they do that? Verse 24 tells us. They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. That last phrase is captivating. In other words, they're saying, we surrender. We want you to do to us whatever seems right and good to you. We don't want to fight against you. We want to surrender ourselves to you. Now, this is a great picture of salvation. That's what happens at salvation. When we come to the place where we say, God, I no longer want to fight against you and that you're calling me to yourself. I no longer want to resist that. I want to yield and surrender to that. It's also a picture of discipleship and spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. We're in our lives, our daily lives. We quit saying, God, I don't want to fight you. I don't want you to do this in my life. And we surrender ourselves to him. That's what they did here. But there's an interesting question. And that is, did the Gibeonites have to deceive Joshua and the Israelites to be received by God? I would say no. Remember the story of Rahab. Rahab had no deception. She simply said, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I believe in God. I'm trusting God and I wanna be on your side and surrender. And she was received. And I think Gibeon, the Gibeonites could have done the same thing. They could have said, hey, we live right here and we are terrified of your God. Your God's in control and we wanna surrender ourselves to you and we wanna be an ally. And the, and the Israelites, Joshua said, come on. They would have been received. Why did they think they had to deceive God? I'm not sure, but I know they're pagans. They're idol worshipers. They didn't know anything about this God. They didn't know anything about Yahweh. So they think to be received by this God, they had to present a false persona so that God would accept them and receive them. This is the same mistake that many people make today. They think for them to be received by God, they had to present some type of false persona. They don't feel like they can come to God as they are because they wouldn't be received. They think in their mind, if God really knew what I was doing, if God really knew how I was living, if God really knew the decisions I was making, if God really knew what I was thinking, there's no way he would receive me. Two problems with that. Number one, you can't fool him. <laughs> he already knows how you're living and what you're thinking. Joshua would have too, but it said Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord. That's why he was tricked by the Gibeonites. God knew, and he knows your situation too, but the best news is you don't have to put on a false front for God. He receives us just as we are. It's what I call raw and real. God receives us raw and real. He receives us in the midst of the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that we're doing. We don't have to put up this false front. When we wanna surrender to God, all we have to do is say, God, I surrender everything I am, everything I'm doing, just like Rahab. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I'm doing but I realize you're God and I wanna surrender my life to you. You don't have to come with the false persona. So here's our choice. We can fight against him or we can surrender to him. We can resist his work in us or we can surrender to his work in us. 
We can refuse to let God have his way in us or we can yield and say, do whatever seems good and right to you. So here's my question. Are you fighting with God about something this morning? Is there some type of spiritual battle taking place in your heart and in your spirit? If so, my encouragement would be to surrender and stop fighting because when you read this story, as we go through this story, you're going to see the five kings that fought against God, that said, we don't surrender, we're going to fight. Every one of them were defeated, but the one that surrendered to God, the one that's brought in to the fold. So that's the first choice. Will I fight against him or will I surrender to him? Here's the second choice. We'll use these two characters here, Superman and T-Rex. Let's say these two actually got in a fight and they were enemies of one another. Now we would all want Superman to win, right? After all, he's Superman. Let's say they get in a fight. There's two options to Superman. The first option is T-Rex could defeat Superman. The second option, however, if I can figure out how to do this, because he won't stand. The second option is Superman defeats T-Rex. He won't stand up. That's the second option. And here's our choice. Victory versus defeat. We can choose victory or we can choose defeat. Now that seems like a no-brainer choice, doesn't it? I mean, if you're gonna give me the choice, can I be the victor or be defeated? I'm gonna choose the victory. But that's until we realize that we have to go through the battle first. One of the themes in Joshua is battle after battle after battle, victory after victory, but the victory only comes after the battle. And if we're gonna be wanting to experience victory in our life, we have to come under the realization that it only comes after the battle. But even in the midst of that, we can choose victory over defeat. When we talk about this concept, there are, there are two expectations I wanna share that we have to have in our relationship to God as we're relating to him, as we're walking, as we're seeking to, to know him and follow him. There's two expectations. The first is expect opposition. Expect opposition. It, it seems like that when I give my life to Christ, if I've been resisting him, and now I finally say, God, I surrender, come into my life and, and save me, it seems like from that point on, everything ought to be smooth and easy, doesn't it? Or it seems like when we finally surrender in our daily life and we're not fighting God and we're growing and we're getting stronger in our Christian walk, things ought to be a lot smoother and a lot easier. It seems like that, but the reality is just the opposite. Because the word says, expect persecution. As a follower of Christ, the more serious you get about following Christ, the more opposition that you're gonna face from time to time. It's because there's an enemy. Number one, there's a spiritual enemy. We've talked about several times here in Joshua. We have this enemy, Satan, who is pursuing us and spiritual warfare is real. And our enemy, Satan, is just as real as the Amorites were to Joshua back in the day. And the battles are just as real as well. And Satan does not want you to give your life to Christ. Satan does not want you to mature as a believer. Jesus, uh, Satan does not want you to make an impact in the kingdom so that when you begin that kind of desire and lifestyle, he will oppose you and he will come against you. But it's not just Satan that's gonna come against us, it's also just people. 
There are a lot of people that are gonna come against us when we sell out to Christ because here's the reality. There are many people who are anti-Christ. And because of that, if you follow Christ, they are gonna be anti-you. Look in chapter 10, verse one. Pick up the story and look at their situation. Here in chapter 10, verse one, to catch up on the context, remember chapter nine, the Gibeonites have deceived Joshua. They've now aligned forces with Joshua. And so all the other kings now are gonna come against Gibeon because of their surrender to Joshua. And here's where we pick it up. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken A and totally destroyed it. Doing to A as its king and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king. And that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than A and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoam, king of Hebron, Paran, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Here's the deal. All these kings who are going, going to oppose Joshua now are angry at the Gibeonites because they have trade, they've become traitors. They've aligned with Joshua and they're upset because Gibeon was a big city. It was a good city. It was a strong city. It had great fighters, great warriors. They would have been great assets for these other kings fighting against Joshua. But when they turned and gave their commitment and loyalty to Joshua, now they're angry and they are opposing and they're going to come after the Gibeonites. The same thing will happen with us. We have some friendships, we have some alignments, we have some relationships, but we get serious about our relationship with Christ. We really begin to walk with Christ. For some reason, that can begin to irritate people can begin to set some people apart to where they, again, begin to oppose us. So you can, ex you can expect that. You can expect opposition, but the good news is the second expectation, and that's to expect victory. Even in the midst of opposition, we can expect victory. Look in verse seven. We continue the story. So you know the context. These five kings have come against Gibeon. They have gone to Gibeon. They've set up, and they're waging war against them. So the Gibeonites send word to Joshua saying, hey, these guys are attacking us. So Joshua responds in verse seven. says, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Here's another great thing that we see in Joshua, where God over and over and over tells Joshua, I've already given them over to you. I've gone before you. I've already given them to you. The battle is over even before you begin to fight. Why does God continue to remind Joshua that he's already given them over? Because in the midst of battle, it's easy to forget that. When we're in the midst of our spiritual battles, it's easy to forget that God's already won the victory. He's already gone before us and set the stage. But God doesn't stop there. He continues, look in verse 11. Now Joshua has attacked these other kings and he is pursuing them and they are fleeing from Joshua. So in verse 11 it says, as they fled, 
Before Israel on the road down from Beth Horam to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Now, for some reason, this passage just creates all kinds of vivid images in my mind. God just hurling down hailstones. I was playing golf a couple of seasons ago, and when we started, it was pretty, a few clouds, but it was just beautiful weather, calm. Each hole, as we moved forward, clouds began to build, and you could see the storm build. We got to about hole seven, and just immediately, boom, just hail. It didn't sprinkle, it didn't rain, it didn't drop for a few, it just, just plummeted immediately, just this huge hailstorm, about pea-sized, marble-sized hails. We're just running for cover. I mean, we're just panicking. We're just running for cover to be safe. That's an image I see here where God's hurling down these hailstones. No wonder, no wonder the army's panicking and just running because of those hailstones coming. But for some reason, I have this image that God's just up there in heaven just, just throwing down these hailstones. Kind of like when we were in college and would throw down water balloons, you know, from the dorm top, allegedly. It's this image. And I know God's not doing that. I know it's God sent the hailstorm, but it's interesting to me, the, the imagery. But also remember that also happened in Exodus chapter nine is one of the plagues of hail. Here's what God's saying. I'm still in control. I'm still in charge. I'm over everything, including nature, including the weather. And I'm going to do everything possible to secure your victory. Here's a truth for you this morning. God's in control and he is actively involved in securing your victory this morning, whatever your battle is. It seems like we can get this image of God sometimes that he's kind of reclining up on his throne, his feet are lounged out on earth, the footstool, he has a bag of popcorn as it were and he's looking down on earth and he's looking down at Joshua this battle and he's looking at it like a TV show, like an action movie. Saying, I don't really know what's gonna happen here but I'm rooting for Israel and I'm just gonna kinda watch this and I hope they can pull it out. And he's just kind of watching. We can have that same idea with ourselves that we're in the midst of this struggle and battle and God's just idly sitting by just watching, hoping things turn out well. That's not God, that's not reality, that's not what is taking place. God is actively involved in securing your victory and he will do everything possible including going before you and preparing the way because it doesn't stop with the hailstones. Look in verse 12, the passage we read at the beginning. On the day, this is right after the hailstones, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself from its en enemies. It's interesting that Israel's enemies, the Amorites, they worshiped the sun and the moon. They worship the sun god. They worship the moon god. So when God stops the orbit of the sun and the moon, what he is telling the Amorites is, your God is powerless against me. You are hopeless and you are helpless. I've already defeated your gods. I've already stopped their motion. You are all by yourself. You have no hope and no help because I am the true God over these gods. 
God is revealing himself once again, how set apart he is. Ephesians 3 tells us that Christ is far above all rulers, powers, dominions, and authority. The word picture is all these little gods, all these false idols are way down here. Christ is way up here. He's far superior, far stronger, far better. There's no comparison. There's no competition. That's what he's saying right here. By stopping the sun and moon, I'm in complete control. Why did Joshua ask for the sun to stop? He's pursuing the army and it's getting late. The one thing Joshua needs at this point is more time. He needs more sunlight. So he asked for the one thing that he needs to complete the victory and God gives Joshua the one thing that he needs to complete the victory. Here's another truth for you this morning. God always provides what you need. Doesn't matter what you need. He always provides everything you need for spiritual victory. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Philippians 4.19 says God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He doesn't promise to supply all your wants, but he will supply every one of your needs. So here's a question for you. What do you need from God this morning? What do you need from him? Do you need him to defeat the enemy? Do you need him to help you resist temptation? Do you need him to break a stronghold in your life? Do you need peace? Do you need the joy of your salvation to return? Do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to release bitterness? Do you need God to do a miracle in your marriage or with the lives of your children? Do you need that sense of passion and fire to be restored? What do you need? God promises to supply and meet that need. All you have to do is ask. Joshua asked for the sun to stand still and God made it happen. Joshua needed victory against these armies. God made it happen. Whatever you need this morning, he'll make it happen. Here's the third choice. It's represented by these two ladies' tops. Now let me say right up front, I don't know anything about women's clothing, just for the record. In fact, I don't even pick out clothes for my wife. I did that once early in our marriage. And it was, it was Christmas and I'd kind of done the typical man thing. It was Christmas Eve, I hadn't done anything, I hadn't thought about what I was gonna get my wife. And so I'm, I ran into Dillard's, I get this, what I think is this beautiful purple outfit that I think, man, she's going to love and it wasn't cheap either. So I wrap it up the next morning for opening Christmas presents. And she opens this and I'm expecting this, 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 just joyful, exuberant, thank you. Oh, this is the most wonderful gift I've ever received. I'm looking for that expression of joy and happiness on her face, and I don't get that. I get that face of, this is hideous and disgusting, and I hate it, but I don't want him to know that that's what I'm thinking, so I'm gonna try to get this little kind of happy half smile. That's kind of the reaction. What I didn't know is that the only color she can't wear is purple, (laughs) and I bought her a purple outfit. Anyway, I said all that simply to say, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm told that this is a bold print. 
this is not. So here's the choice. Boldness versus timidity. In my relationship with God, in my walk with Christ, I can choose boldness or I can choose timidity. Heard the phrase, go big or go home? Kind of a sales slogan that became popular in the 90s. Man, it means go for it. Go big. Be extravagant. That's really what Joshua's doing right here. Joshua is going big. He is praying a big, bold prayer. God, stop the sun. And it says he says that in the presence of Israel. So I can just see all these other Israelites, all these leaders next to Joshua when he prays that saying, what did he just say? This guy's nuts. He's been chasing this army all day. He's gone crazy. He's got sunstroke. Until the sun stopped. We need to pray bold prayers. We need to have bold faith. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. I don't want to ever be guilty of not having because I just didn't ask. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says, ask, seek, and not because everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks Everyone who knocks, the door is open. Matthew 17, 20 says, if we have the faith as small as a mustard seed, we can look at that mountain and say, move. And God will move that mountain. Do you need a mountain move this morning? Pray boldly. I'd rather have crazy faith than a lack of faith. I'd rather God have to tone down my faith and reign in my faith than to act like he's got to clear and zap and restart and jumpstart my faith. Our God's not weak. He's almighty, he's the all-powerful. Our God's not small. Earth is his footstool. Our God's not depleted. He has all the resources. He's not run out of good gifts. He's not run out of new mercies. They're new every morning. He's not depleted. He's not tired. Because of that, we can boldly pray and ask things we can't even imagine. He can do things we cannot even imagine. In fact, that's what Ephesians 3.20 says. He is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. That word immeasurably means you can't measure it. It means beyond measure. We can't even fathom it. We can't understand it. We can't get a grip on it. We can't get our minds wrapped around it. But he can do more than we can even understand. I want to show you a couple of pictures here. This first one is sidewalk. It's 3D sidewalk art. Looks like a little chasm, a hole in the sidewalk. This, is, this art is painting 3D sidewalk art. That's still a sidewalk. Okay, it's still, a, it's still a sidewalk you can walk on, but an artist has come and painted that to where it looks like it's got a deep hole in it. Look at the second picture. It's another example. Is that not unbelievable? That's still a sidewalk. You can just walk on it, but somehow these artists have been able to, 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 to paint on a, just a flat surface, this three-dimensional look with this chasm. It completely blows me away. I can't understand how an artist can do that. That's a finite human artist able to wow me and do something I don't understand. Imagine what the infinite creator of the universe 
can do in your life, in your situation, in your struggle. He can do more than you can even conceive. That's why we get to verse 14, the end of our focal passage. It all culminates to this one phrase, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. (laughs) Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Is it not obvious that he's fighting for Israel? In other words, what else could God do to prove he was fighting for Israel? He's gone before them. He's prepared the way for them. He's won the victory even before the fighting starts. Then he throws hailstones on the enemy and then he stops the sun to complete the victory. What else can he do? Surely he's for the Lord. And I can say that about each one of us here this morning. Surely the Lord is fighting for you. Surely the Lord is for you. What else can he do to prove that he's for you? He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. Paid the penalty for your sin. Paid the price for your sin so you would not have to pay that price. Once we commit our life to Christ, he he allows the Holy Spirit to live within us, his spirit to reside in us, to comfort us, to teach us, to empower us, to encourage us. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He is presently preparing a place for us so that we can spend eternity with him. What else can he do (laughs) to prove to you that he's for you? If you've heard nothing else this morning, do not leave this place without hearing this and knowing this and believing this. God is for you. And he'll do whatever it takes to bring victory in your life. So, choose surrender. Choose victory and choose boldness. Let's pray together. I wanna give just a moment for the Spirit to minister to you. Let him speak to you for a minute. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you may be struggling with. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Christ. But God is telling you, he's for you. And if you're in the midst of a battle this morning, you can experience victory. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you feel this sensing, this calling, you may not even fully understand what's going on inside of you. But if you wanna talk to someone about what it means to give my life to Christ and follow him, we have some prayer team on the sides when we sing in a minute just go to one of them and just say I need to talk to somebody about Christ maybe there's something else going on there's a struggle there's a battle there's just a a myriad of things going on in your life and you just want to pray with someone you want to do business with God this is what this time is for part of our vision is to experience God not just to hear a message but it's to let the Spirit of God speak and move and work in us. So if you need that time this morning and want to pray with someone, 
Come to the prayer team. That's what they're here for. Just don't resist. Don't fight against him. If he's speaking to you this morning, let him have his way. Father, we love you. And we just pray that you would move, that you would speak, and that we would surrender whatever you're trying to do in us and to speak in us. May we say, I surrender. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.